This is Transit Unplugged, and I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Today, we travel to Athens Clark County Transit Department and talk to Butch McDuffie, who's its director. He's director there in Athens, Georgia, which is a college town, as you know, with the Georgia Bulldogs famous football team there. And he talks about all kinds of new programs they have going on. We went out and took a look at his new bus shelters where artists from around the country can submit to have a bus shelter look like some great art project, like a speaker that the Jolly Green Giant might pick up from on top all kinds of different cool art shelters. We also went and looked at his big transit facility, which he built with no federal dollars. And with the ebb and flow of students coming onto campus each year, it also affects how he delivers transit service. He'll tell you how he does it. Butch McDuffie, director of Athens Transit. On this same program, we have a second guest. That's right, a twofer. Ron Kilcoin, who has been general manager in Santa Clarita, California for the Greater Bridgeport, Connecticut Transit System and for Lane Transit District. And now he is a consultant and he talks about what he's seen over the years, the importance of what he calls the three-legged stool strategy for growing and sustaining ridership and how to make a decision about when to add in specialized microtransit when maybe there's a gap in the fixed route service. And we look at what the future of transit might look like here in North America. All that with Ron Kilcoin and our other guest, Butch McDuffie, director of Athens Transit. Two guests on one program today, Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Today, we're excited to have our special guest, Ron Kilcoin, who has been a longtime transit manager, and he's going to talk to us today. We are in um, Georgia at the Community Transportation Association of America's Small Urban Network Conference, where executives from small urban transit networks are gathering to talk amongst themselves and hear training. Ron, tell us a little about your background. Thanks for being a guest. Thank you. Well, I've uh, been in the business for 39 years, and of that 39 years, uh, 22 years has been as a general manager. Started with Santa Clarita Transit, which is a startup system in an ex-urban area. Then Greater Bridgeport Transit in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which was uh, in an older urbanized area. And then finally Lane Transit District in Eugene, Oregon, which was a college town. So it's uh, all three were very, very different, uh, very different systems, very unique systems. I spent some time at, at Bridgeport when I was working for Yellow Transportation. We bid on the paratransit system. Mm -hmm. uh, we put in a contract to run that. I don't think we won it, but uh, that was a, quite a while ago. So, so in those years of experience, now you're a consultant? That's correct, with yeah. uh, Transportation Management Design, TMD. Yeah, that's great. Uh, out of Carlsbad. And what do you do now as a well, consultant? primarily doing service planning, service restructuring, and we also do strategic plans, but uh, primarily, you know, uh, like conference operations analysis, uh, transit development plans. Uh, we've, uh, right, I mean, not, we're doing things from small cities. I'm doing a transit plan for the city of Mountain View, but we've also done Muni Forward. We've done Austin Transit. And here we talked about Rochester's system. We, we yeah. did that uh, okay. restructuring. Yeah, as, Rochester as well. was, uh, Bill was my first guest on Transit. He's the very <laughs> so, first one. Uh, 
So that's anyway. great. So you've, you're taking your experience, which is always interesting when I talk to mm-hmm. folks who have been in the business as, as a GM and like me now, they're out being a GM and they're doing right. other things. So you've been able to parlay that into consulting and helping other transit systems around the country. Yes, and before I became general manager, I was head of planning at AC Transit to start as a planner. Oh, so I do have that. Okay, over in Oakland. Uh, no, Oakland, and you know, and I always felt that planning and, and scheduling—that's another unique thing. I we do scheduling as well. Most firms don't, but we do scheduling. Are things that always been my passion. I always felt like as a GM, I love being a GM, but I also felt like I was the chief of surgery that always wanted to be back <laughs> in the surgery room when it comes to planning and scheduling. Ah, that's interesting. Planning and pizza. That's always been my favorite. Yeah. Part of, of the overall. Uh, so you're one aspect. of these cerebral guys. I want to see it all laid out. Well, that's a big thing now, as you know, across the industry. I talked about it earlier today yeah. uh, in my speech was about how most transit systems that are seeing an increase in ridership are rebooting their networks. Yeah. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yes. And, you know, we, I mean, I, I, that's been my experience. I mean, one of the things, what actually I started with AC Transit when I started there, this was in the 80s, but they hadn't done any, I mean, basically it started with the old key system around the 1900, and then everything was yeah. just kind of band-aided and all. That's right. And, you know, I had suggested, because I'd seen what Muni did in San Francisco, that we do a whole restructuring. At that point, you didn't have the consultants. You didn't have Nelson yeah. Nygaards or the TMDs or the Jarrett Walkers. Yeah. In fact, fun fact, I hired Jared Walker for his very first transit job at oh. AC Transit. Oh, is that right? And Diane Nygaard of Nelson Nygaard's office was right next to me when she was working at AC Transit. So, you know. so you're the father of all this, huh? <laughs> well, I, The yeah. father of rebooting in America. <laughs> so we did that, and we were successful. You know, we saw yeah. our increase of ridership when ridership was dropping around uh, all around us. And, you know, same thing, we did restructuring in Bridgeport. Uh, you know, major restructuring sort of the of routes this, uh, of the routes, doing this yeah. pulling off the Band-Aid. And although we had like a drop the first couple months because our coverage actually shrunk, but our service, our frequency. But then after people got used to it, by the end of the year, we were you know doing ten percent increases in ridership. So that's something. So it yeah. you know it, it did pay. Sometimes you have to take chances, but it, you know take a risk. Right. So tell me about uh, the importance of ridership and the three-legged stool strategy for growing and sustaining ridership. Well, I mean to me, ridership's the most bottom line because you know you as a public transit agency we receive public funds because we provide benefits to the community. We provide environmental, economic, social benefits to the community. But empty buses, empty trains, empty ferries don't provide those benefits. You have to have butts and seats. By the three-legged stool is really the fact that you, you really need all three legs of that stool to work. The first leg is the product, designing the product. And that's comes with the service restructuring yes. piece. You know, no one is going to use transit unless they feel it meets their needs. And so you have to design a product that meets their needs. That's right. leg number one. Gets them to where the jobs are, where yeah, they want to go. go. Yeah. That's, that's, that's number one. And that's where the service restructuring piece comes in and the scheduling piece comes in. The second leg is, okay, let's say you've designed a great product, but if nobody knows about it, if they're not enticed to sample it, they're not going to use it. So you have to have that marketing promotional piece. And certainly when I was at AC Transit, I was always by frustration. We were doing all these great things, and then there was no marketing for it. So, okay. uh, you know, then the third, now, now those two legs together bring people onto the system. But to keep them on the system, to sustain that ridership, you have to have the good operation, which means running on time, clean buses, friendly drivers, feeling of safety. You really need all three of those pieces to really maximize your ridership. Uh, yeah, at the end, 
frequency and span probably is the top thing because if you yes. don't have it there, great marketing and right. and great. But that's part claims, of the system but, design, right? Right, that's part of the system yeah. design. But you really need all of those pieces together to, to maximize ridership and, and to go. Now there is a kind of a fourth external piece and okay. that is the external environment that you operate in. Okay. And I've always been a believer that transit agencies need to be very proactive and you know as, a, as an advocate to build those partnerships to grow. And you can't use the external environment as an excuse for poor ridership. You mean, you know, if you have a poor external environment, you still have to try to do the best you can. I mean, Santa Clarita was built around the automobile, was an external thing, but we were able to get up to 30 boardings per hour, a system 30 boardings per hour, even in without that tradition there. So you can do it in poor environments, but on the other hand, you should strive to improve the environment. You know, and again, it's not within your control, but that doesn't mean you can't you can't try to influence. Yeah. It. Like a lot of your money, financial sources aren't in your control, but you still try to go out there and lobby and advocate for more funding. So those, I think, I mean, if you have two outstanding transits, one's in a good external environment, one's in a bad external environment, the one that's a good is going to get more ridership, but still, you know, you, as I say, a bad external environment cannot be excused for poor rider for not trying, yeah. and a good external environment can't be sort of like a reason to say, "Yeah, we don't have to really do anything because we're dense." Right, <laughs> you right. know, you got to yeah. still you got to still build work for the grow for the ridership. Now, you we were talking earlier, and you mentioned something about dealing with the gap, the difference between a fixed route that carries ten boardings an hour and an alternative mobility option. So, talk about that some. Well, this is, I think, a challenge. And to be honest, I don't have a good answer for that. But you know, most transit systems have a standard, or many transit systems have, you know, the fixed route minimum productivity. If it isn't there, you either get rid of the route or you try to do and something. What is that? What, what do you see across the Well, industry? I mean, a lot of systems have tw 10 boardings per hour. Actually, at LTD, Lane Transit District, we had 20 boardings per hour. So in order for a route to, to stay uh, in the system, you'd want yeah. at least 20 passengers to ride that route every hour. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Right. Or, or, you know, whatever your number is. Yes. But if you're going to go with a new mobility option, apps are great for making efficient routing. Apps are great for the customer you know, they get that so they don't have to make a reservation a day in advance or any of that stuff. But still, because vehicles that have to deviate that just aren't going on a fixed route, you're going to be really limited on your productivity. And these usually, you do these alternative mobilities in low-density areas. So, you know, it's very rare that I find such a, such a new mobility service getting more than three to three and a half boardings per hour. Okay. So what if you do, if you have a new mobility thing that can't get more than three to three and a half because of ge geography, not yeah. because of the technology. It's how you're deploying it, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but, but, you keep, but a, a fixed route isn't going to do, you know, is going to do six, seven, eight. It's going to do better productivity, but it's not going to be it's going to be a weak link. Yeah. You know, what do you kind of do in that area? It really ends up being a policy issue, but... Mm -hmm. It is a question it that is a, agencies are wrestling with wrestling right now, with. It? it is a... Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think the key thing is, though, you got to go into... I, I don't want to sound negative to new mobility because I've tried it where I've been and... and uh, by new mobility, you're referring to what? Any like? kind of alternative, yeah. you know, whether you're contracting with the TNC right. or you're doing your own thing or, you know, de route deviation, flex, sure, or any yeah. of those flex routes, things. yeah is that you got to go in with your eyes open. You're not, it, are you satisfied with, you know, is there a demand, be it a community demand or political demand or what have you, 
uh, to to provide service at three, three, four boardings per hour, or do you just say, hey, if you can't do 10 boardings per hour in a fixed route, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. It's a policy decision. There isn't a good or right answer. I think the point, though, is you got to go in realizing, not, not chasing the new shining object because, oh, it's new mobility or it's a TNC, yeah. but just know that this is... You know, the, the, these are the these are the impacts because I don't I don't know that we have come up with a, an answer that sure. how do you get ten boardings per hour without running a fixed route? Right. You right. Know? Well, you know, it's funny <clears throat> having talked to a lot of these guys like Roger, the, the uh, in Oahu Transit Service, mm-hmm. where Honolulu is. So he has to do paratransit border to border, yeah. the whole island. Yeah. And uh, same with John Sisson, my buddy in Delaware, who runs Dart. And then, so now the line is blurring some, right? So mm-hmm. that's paratransit. Then you've got folks like Robbie Mackinnon in Kansas City who has turned his ride KC Freedom, which started as paratransit. Now anyone can ride. Mm-hmm. Like he called, he doesn't like to call people with disabilities. He said they're diverse abilities. Yeah. Um, but now that's available for anyone. So this new mobility, microtransit, mobility, mm-hmm. whatever, it, it is blurring those lines. And yeah. so new standards have to be established. We're really in the pilot phase now and a lot yeah. of this stuff, aren't we? We yeah. are. And I, I get, my point right now is we're still learning. We're still trying to figure it out. Just don't get into this, follow the new shining object because it's the, the end thing to do. Right. Realize, realize what the limitations are and try to work with them and try to figure them out. Well, let's talk about the future a little bit. What is the wish list for the future? Well, the wish list for the future is, I mean, first of all, I, I would love to see, one of the things we don't really have a good answer on is what is... What level should we be investing in transit in our communities? What is the optimum level of service? You know, we we do these restructurings and quite often we're constrained. So we're trying to figure out how to maximize ridership within our dollar constraints and our policy constraints. Policy constraints being whether to do coverage or productivity. But what is, if if we were in an unconstrained world, what would that transit system look like? Now, it doesn't mean you just go whole hog, I mean, there's like a point where you have uh, diminishing returns. For example, you have a half hour route, you go to 15 minute service, hey, maybe I'll double ridership after three years. But if I go to 10 minute service, eh, I only got a few more people, it's not worth it, you know, whatever that level is. So what is that optimum level of service based on frequency span and thing? And then what is the return of investment to it? Because from a transit person, I want, to ma- I want to optimize ridership. But when I go to my city council or my state legislator or whoever, I got to show them these are the environmental benefits, these are the economic benefits, these are the social benefits, quantified or qualified in a way right. that if, you, if we spent this amount of money to provide this level of service, this is the return on investment. I don't know that many places have that answer. And I think that we really, if we could really, and I think now that we've got models and stuff like that where we can maybe calculate or figure that out so we can at least make the case, this is how much service that each community should have. AFTA did its 20, Vision 2050 back in uh, 2007. It didn't have AVs, it didn't have, you know, didn't have a lot of things. Yes. That needs to be re-upted, but it shouldn't be the way it was done in 2007. It should be done more, let's look at some scenarios for the future. What is the scenario we want? How do we get there? And let's not just do it isolated with an APTA. Let's do it partnerships with, with uh, you know, NRDC, NATCO, and other organizations. And finally, what is, you know, I'm concerned about AVs. Mm-hmm. You know, AVs are coming. We don't know. Nobody, autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles. Yeah. We don't know what... The world's going to look like. On the transit side, go back to 
when a streetcar started, they were always a two-person operation. Yes. Then they went to one-person operation so that they could double the frequency, so there could always be a car in sight. Okay. Well, you know, if you think about, you know, double, if you had AV transit, whether it be rail or high-capacity bus, you could double, if you could double the frequency with the same number of people, now, you know, you wouldn't have yes. drivers, but you have passenger ambassadors, right. you'd have right. people that provide a positive experience. That would be a great thing for transit. On the other hand, if you're going to have autonomous vehicles, individual cars driving all over the place and zero occupancy vehicles as they're shuttling yeah. around. Jamming up our streets. Jamming up our streets. <laughs> that's a bad sign. So yeah. I think the way is how do we get to the positive environment? And this is a thing that concern because the path of least resistance, I think, tends to go to the negative mm. side, whereas it's going to take a lot more work to get to the positive side to make sure the road space is properly priced, parking is properly priced, and that we don't say, oh, autonomous vehicles are going to solve all our problems, which I've heard a number of people say. Yeah. That we, you know, we invest properly, encourage active transportation, and encourage public transportation. That's great. So, very good. Well, you you paint a good picture of the future, and a lot of those are policy decisions mm-hmm. that'll have to be made. And cities across in Europe now are dealing, are grappling with some of that, with congestion pricing mm-hmm. and making decisions on whether or not TNCs have to pay that congestion pricing when they go into the central districts, like New York is soon going to have to deal right. with. Um, so these are things that we'll be grappling with, and I know you're working with it on a regular basis in your current work, and you come mm-hmm. from a strong background, having been a GM at three different systems. Ron Kilcoin, thanks so much for taking well, some thank, time thank today you to share for... with us your experience and your wisdom for the future. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Great. Today, I'm excited to be in Athens, Georgia, with the CEO of Athens Transit, Butch McDuffie. Butch, thanks for being with us today. Thanks. Glad to be here today. Yeah, Appreciate we, it. We are here. You're hosting the CTAA Sun S- Conference, S- right? Yep. yep. We're, we're here for the CTAA Small Urban Network Conference. And the Small Urban Network Conference is a group. Uh, we've got about 86 uh, registered attendees this week uh, for about three days. We are small urban transit managers, administrators, staffers from uh Agencies that are 50 to 200,000 in population, mostly small bus companies that are around our our country, and uh, we're learning and sharing information and helping each other to uh, do a better job for our citizens in our individual communities. And, of course, uh, we're, we're showing off Athens. There you go. Well, you did a great job last night. You took me on a tour. I was very impressed with everything. First off, why don't you just give us kind of a, a, an overview, a 20,000-foot view of your transit system and how it works. Okay. Well, the Athens transit system was established in 1976, actually, by the old city of Athens. And uh, we've been around for 40-plus years. We are in a small city in outside the Atlanta metro area, about 70 miles or so to the northeast. We have a small town atmosphere, but we also have a big university. Uh, We are the home to the state's flagship university, University of Georgia, and we have 37,000 plus college kids nine months a year. And, uh, Rooting on the Georgia Bulldogs, right? <laughs> yes, the, yeah. the Bulldogs, yeah. They're, they are uh, very active in this community, not just the football, but the baseball and all the other programs that the UGA has, and they bring so much more than sports to our community as well. Their daytime population on the campus is around 50,000. Our urbanized area population here in athens Clark County, we're actually very lucky. We're the second smallest county in the nation. We are a city of about 130,000 with those 37,000 college kids. We are a regional employer and uh, retail and medical hub. So about the six or seven counties that are around us, uh, folks come to see us every day and work here every day and and obtain goods and services and things like that. 
So our daytime population jumps to about 150 to 170,000, kind of depending. And then, of course, we have six or seven Saturdays a year where they have a, a little stadium over here where they do play <laughs> football at. It seats over uh, 92, 93,000, something like that. And we go from about 130,000 to uh, 350, pushing 400,000 on any, any given game day. Our transit system operates uh, 20 routes with 24 peak service buses. We have 32 buses in the fleet. 14 of those buses are uh, Gillig hybrid electric buses. They're all 40-foot low floors. We all rode of, that last night. It's a very nice vehicle. That's right. All of our vehicles are, are, are low floor and accessible, of course. And we provide uh, complimentary ADA paratransit service up to one mile on either side of the route for anyone who has mobility challenged and cannot access uh, regular fixed route services. We are a very traditional, small urban fixed route service. We don't do anything for non-emergency medical transportation, things like that. We have about 100 employees, 500 bus stops, maintenance and operations facility that was built in 1976, and we have a wonderful multimodal transportation center that was built in 2005, 2006. It opened August 16th, It's beautiful, by the way. Great tour last night of yeah, that. Yeah, it was. We're, we're very proud of that. that. That's about a $13 million facility. It was built with 100% local money, which is very big in the transit world. Mm-hmm. We're very lucky here in the state of Georgia and actually here in athens Clark County. We've got a great mayor, commission, and citizenry that supports public transportation. We work very closely with the University of Georgia. Currently, we're providing about 1.5, 1.56 million passenger trips a year on those 24-peak service buses. We operate roughly 6 a.m. until uh 10 p.m. seven days a week on those 19 routes that we I was talking about earlier and uh, we help people get to and from the university we get them uh, there meet their mobility challenges around the community we work very closely with the University of Georgia that has their own transit system they actually have more buses than we do uh, what they do though is they provide service in and around campus proper which is about five square miles and we have about a 45, 46 mile service area, square mile service area that we provide the rest of the service in. We bring people to and from campus and they move them around once they get on campus. About three years ago, maybe four years ago, we were listed uh, with a uh, data mining uh, organization that looked at transit systems across the country. And actually Athens, Georgia rated fourth in the nation for highest per capita use of public transit services. I mean, we literally had New York, San Francisco, Boston, Athens, Georgia, and then DC's MTA. Wow. So it was kind of crazy. Yeah. But, and of course, that's per capita. But when you look at it on average, the average citizen in Athens takes over 100 public transportation trips a year. That's amazing. Moment, yeah. So it's so, very heavily utilized and a lot of choice riders, right? Yes, we are about 70% choice riders. We have an agreement with the University of Georgia that allows faculty, staff, and student to ride with a, with a valid ID card, and it's just a mag reader. They swipe it through that fare box, and we collect the data that way. We have multiple ride passes. We use a mobile app for buying passes and things like that. So that really expedites ridership boardings across our system. We do have a, a challenged, uh, economically challenged population in our community, so about 30% of our ridership is uh, dependent ridership. But we work very hard uh, to identify those communities and those areas and provide good service to those areas. Currently, we operate services on 15, 20, 30-minute and hourly frequency across the system, depending on which route you're on. 
Very good. Tell us about the funding. There's a unique funding structure in Georgia I think our listeners would be interested in, how you get okay. some of your capital funded. All right. Well, we've got a couple of different ways. Current, well, our operating budget comes, we're very lucky with that. We get uh, we get 5307 funding, and so we split, that comes out of, of course, through FTA. Our local government provides us about $2.5 million a year and, and match for that get about 2.5 from the feds, and then we get uh, about 1.5 out of our fare box. We're roughly 6.1, $6.2 million a year in operating budget. Flip that over on the capital side though. In Georgia, we have what's called the special purpose local option sales tax, and they also have a transportation special purpose local option sales tax. It's known as SPLOST or T-SPLOST. And that's what, what they do with that is the Citizens Advisory Committee goes out and they solicit the community and people put in projects and they say, well, we want to develop a park here, or a bike trail there, or I go to them, uh, public entities go to them, the different departments and say, we want to do this, that, and the other. And uh, we still submit programs and projects. The Citizens Advisory Committee goes over those projects and votes on them. And then they turn around and that goes to our mayor and commission and they vote on those. And once those are uh, defined, a referendum is set and it goes to ballot. And then our citizens are allowed to vote on whether or not they will approve this list of specific projects. We have been very lucky as the transit system here, the Department of uh, Athens Athens Transit, and we have got SPLOS funding and or T-SPLOS funding, which is a one cent sales tax that goes on for a period of five, six, or even 10 years, uh, depending on which one we're talking about. And we actually get, to build things, so that's what we paid for our $13 million multimodal center. We use that for uh, match money for buses. We do our bus stop improvement program with it. We, uh, any, any number of projects, uh, streets, up, uh, pedestrian, uh, uh, multi-use trails, things right. like that across our community. That's how, But that's how we pay for them in Georgia because we know our property tax base cannot support that. Yeah. Again, we're a very small community. About ha- uh, 40% of uh, the land mass in athens Clark County is actually owned by governmental or nonprofit entities so they're not that don't pay, tax anyway. don't pay yeah. property tax. You know, we got the University of Georgia here. Right. We got a big department, of, U.S. Department of Agriculture complex, and stuff. So it's you can't put all that on on the property owners. So, but you know, when people come to our town, we have a very vibrant tourist industry. Yeah, it reminds me. I hope you don't mind me saying it. Yeah. but It reminds me of Memphis downtown. Oh yeah, it's very cool. The bar scene, the uh, music scene. Oh, yeah. very nice. Yeah, yeah, we would invite anyone to come to Athens and, and have a great time. We have a very vibrant music scene. We have your great music history here in town. Uh, REM started here, right? REM, B-52s, Widespread Panic. Uh, Many others. Are they like college kids oh, that got all, together? They were all college kids. Uh-huh. They started, you know, the 60s and the 70s, kind of how that kind of stuff started. And, and uh, little bands popped up here and there were house parties and stuff like yeah. that. And they, they started developing their own music venues. You know, we have the Georgia Theater here, which is, is, is iconic in, in music history. And uh, there's uh, the Morton Theaters here. We've, we've got a, quite a bit of history that uh, comes out. You know, the, the community has been here. Athens, well, actually, I should say the University of Georgia was established was established in the late 18, sorry, 1780s, early 1780s. And so it was one of the oldest, uh, I think it actually is the oldest publicly sanctioned university in the nation. That's amazing. And Athens grew up around that. The first trains that came to Georgia came through Athens and stuff back in the early 1840s. And Isn't stuff. there a Gladys Pip song about that? I mean, there is a midnight train to Georgia. <laughs> that's that's right. right. There's a couple of train songs, yeah. that's for sure. At one time, Athens actually was a, a fully, uh, had five functional train 
systems coming in and out of Athens. They're all kind of with yeah. different spurs back in the day when they were privately owned train uh, uh, right. lines. And, and actually our multimodal transportation center is located on one of those old train lines at where one of those, one of those stations was at. And uh, again, like I said, we, we just were wonderful, uh, wonderfully blessed to have such a great group of folks. Like I said, our elected officials, our citizens, and mm -hmm. the support we have here in Athens, Georgia for our public transit system. Yeah, I got to meet your mayor yesterday. What's his name? Our mayor is Kelly Gertz. And your, and your uh, county manager? County manager is Blaine Williams, and yeah. assistant county manager is Deborah London. Great and supportive people. They came here and spoke. They hung out at the conference. Right. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. Kelly's got a great vision. Oh. Kelly has came in. He was on, yeah, he commissioner for two terms, uh, 2008, 2007. He came, you know, he started in politics. He was an educator before that. Uh, I said yesterday, he actually taught, he was at my high school principal for one of my daughters yeah. and stuff, but he's got a great vision for our community and we're trying to, and it's a very progressive community. We're moving forward. We've got a bike ped master plan. We've got our, our five-year transit development plan. We've got a 10-year plan. We Tell me for, about your art on your uh, bus art shelters. shelters yeah. Art shelters are the, one of the coolest things. Please look, look online, Google cool art shelters or cool bus shelters or something like that. You'll find that right now we have a program. It's 50, it's funded through a 5339 grant, so it's a federal grant, and we are building functional art. And basically what that functional art is, and it's very key when you talk about the 5339 program, we are building bus shelters that are actually pieces of artwork. We've held two different national contests, call for projects. Artists across the country have submitted their renderings, their thoughts, their designs for different bus shelters. Then we go through a juried pool and select those. Right now we have um, 13 or 14 shelters already installed. We have another 13 or 14 art shelters uh, coming later this year. And we have 20 what we call level two uh, art shelter and they have what we call artistic panels in the back. But each of these shelters is unique. They're built by, by an individual unique artist. They have to be structurally sound. They have to have an engineering uh, stamp on their designs. They have to be certain materials and things like that for longevity and for maintenance. But every one of them is unique. We have one that we call the Funky Little Shack. It's got a tin roof and it's got a picture of a B-52 with hearts falling out of the back, uh, out of the bottom of it. And you might put two and two together on that one. But then we have uh, another one that's... Uh, called Blazeberry. There's another, it's called, it's a recycled school bus. It actually looks like a recycled school bus. Uh, Beat the Drum is another one that has snare drums on the roof and built into the sides when it rains. The raindrops make music. Like I said, there's a very vibrant music scene here in Athens, so we got that. We have one that looks this that models the Murmur Trussell that was on the REM album uh, many years ago and stuff. So One that looks like a guitar speaker? Or, uh, yeah. yeah. And, oh, that's cool, amped, the amp one. Amped. Yeah, we saw it's, that it's, yesterday. It's called Amped, yeah. It's, it, if, you're, if you're 25 or 40 foot tall, you'd look like you pick up a guitar. <laughs> Jolly amp. Green Giant. It, 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 looks like a, it looks like a guitar amp. Yeah. It does. And, and our, our community has been so... Uh, receptive of this. I mean, we don't have any issues with uh, uh, vandalism, vandalism yeah. or anything like that. We, like I said earlier, we've got about 500 bus stops. Out of the 500 bus stops, over 200 of them have shelters, and uh, the other 200 of, or so of them have uh, two-seater benches or, or six-foot benches, and we're working to improve that. We want to make our system as accessible as possible. Everything has at least a minimum of a five-by-eight concrete pad, and if it's what we call in close proximity to a sidewalk, we will build the sidewalk to connect it. You know, some city have sidewalk gaps and yes. we're working on we actually have the county 
actually has a sidewalk gap project that we're trying to fill the gaps in the sidewalks that have been created over the years so we can make our community much more accessible to anyone. We want, you know, we're, we're in Georgia, northeast Georgia mountains. There are, it gets pretty hilly around yes, here somewhat. Does, yeah. And uh, so we want, you know, those folks that are maybe mobility challenged to have a, a good access to all of our services. That's great. We well, have great, vibrant vision. Lastly, tell me some about yourself and your career and how you ended up in this position. <laughs> I think you've got a, a great, very interesting yeah. career path. I started out in the military. I spent uh, 15 years on active duty in the Army and, another, and took a break in service and actually started my career as a bus mechanic in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Moved on from there to Pueblo, Colorado, and then on to Knoxville, Tennessee, where I was the maintenance director in Knoxville, Tennessee, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And what company uh, was this with? That was with McDonald Transit. McDonald when, Transit. They, when there was a McDonald Transit, right. they were a wonderful company. I loved all the folks I worked with there. They taught me, uh, they helped me become who I am today in, in this sure. industry. Actually, I joined the National Guard. It's been another seven to nine, almost nine years in the National Guard. I've been deployed two or three different times over the years and uh, finished uh, my military career in 2007. And while I was here in Athens, Clark County, uh, and working for the county, they supported us, while, supported me and my family while I was deployed. And uh, I've been here uh, literally since uh, J uh, October of 2001. Okay. Coming up on my 18th anniversary here. And uh, I'm loving it, you know. I uh, I can tell, and you still you're still passionate about it, Butch. That's what's awesome. Yeah, uh, anything worth doing is worth giving 100. percent So there that's you the go. way it goes. And stuff. But it's been a wonderful career here. I plan on staying here for a few more years. You know, I, right. I, I'm not I'm not old enough to retire by any means. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue doing what I do here. We're very active with the GTA, the Georgia Transit Association. Sure. I've, uh, I'm a past president of GTA actually three times in the last 15 years. Wow. I'm president of GTA. We're active with our local state legislature. Legislature. I was appointed by the uh, Speaker of the House uh, a couple years ago to serve on a uh uh, transportation uh, Transit Funding and Governance Commission, which uh, we worked on legislation to help make uh, uh, transit better throughout the state of Georgia. And there's still more legislation coming down the pipe for that. Our, our state is, is growing, and uh, we, our legislature, our governor— and our elected officials, they, they see They're that. very supportive, they, aren't they? And they see, they, they know the value of public transportation. Last fall, we actually went through the process, it was a year ago now, actually. The ATL is a program we brought, to, they helped bring together the multiple jurisdictions in the Atlanta metro area. Right. Give them kind of under one umbrella. Yeah. And we're working on a state transit plan right now to do some of the same type of stuff across the state of Georgia. Right now, there are 16 urban transit providers in the state of Georgia, about 114 rural transportation providers across the state and we're working with everyone trying to make Georgia a better place for all our citizens and for the visitors to come to meet with us and, and spend money here and make money here and enjoy uh, just the, the southeast part of the United States and, and the state of Georgia. Very good. Butch McDuffie, I wish you the very best as you continue to make Athens Transit the best it can be. Oh, thank you, Paul. Appreciate right. it. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.